0: Next, on the agenda, Josh Hollowell. Josh is a um, graduate (coughs) of Ball State University in the um, program of architecture and uh, was a member here at New Life for a while, joined staff even here at New Life in 2014 as a church planting apprentice. Something that we believe is very important as a church is to multiply and start other churches. This church was started by Westminster in Muncie And so, um, we were committed as a church to also planting. So Josh is the man we chose to plant City Hope Fellowship. So in 2017, summer of 2017, we sent Josh out with about 35, 40 people from this church, and he is currently pastor there at City Hope. Married four, not three, four beautiful children, and he's going to talk to us today about how sin is never just an individual thing, you know, a lot of times people say, well, this isn't hurting anybody, so what's the problem? Well, sin always has far-reaching impact into our families and communities and even the world, and Josh will talk to us about that now.
1: Thank you, Bob, and uh, glad to be here today. And to talk about this uh, topic, I always make space in my schedule to come to this conference and to speak here. Um, I have uh, done various uh, kinds of this talk and other uh, addresses here at this conference. Uh, typically, I do one surrounding, what does what, what some recovery look like uh, in, uh, like, what, what, what does it look like for us to walk with Jesus through some level of recovery. Uh, and then I have always given some talk related to the injustice of pornography. Um, this one's going to be a little different in terms of how I want to address that. Um, the normal talk that I've given on the injustice of porn has lots of data connecting pornography to sex trafficking and uh, other things like that. Uh, that is available actually on uh New Life's website, I think, has the all, all the uh, audio from past conferences. And so I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach uh, this afternoon. Uh, so all that information is there. Uh, another place to get all of that information is uh, Fight the New Drug. They have some really great videos and uh, information connecting uh, pornography to sex trafficking. And I will talk about that some. But I wanted to kind of back up. And give some of the motivation behind the pursuit of social justice in terms of sex trafficking and pornography. So I wanted to kind of back up and and do something related to that uh, here today. Now, before we really get into this, uh, I want to say that as we talk about the injustice of pornography, I think it can be talked about in such a way that is meant to heap shame upon people in order to motivate people to move away from it. Uh, sometimes that's unintentional. It's uh, Let's talk about how bad this really is so that you run away from it, but the unintentional consequence often is that it, it creates shame that traps me in it further. I actually know already how bad this is, but I don't know how to get out of it. Uh, my intention today is not to do that, and we will talk about how this will not do that, um, but... I don't come as one who uh, speaks about this issue because I have been totally clean from it and therefore I'm telling you how this works. No, I had a very long-standing addiction to pornography that, that God delivered me from through the, the gospel of grace and through the support and love of other people. And so I come not as one who has uh, had this, never been a part of my life and I'm coming in judgment. It's, no, I know the damage that this has done to my own soul and to others, and I come offering a different perspective and a different level of motivation to moving away from it. But I also think one of the reasons, uh, one of the things that we have intended to do with this conference is to broaden the the topic, because uh, this topic affects everyone. Uh, not just because uh, you are struggling with pornography or because a, a loved one or a spouse or, or a child is struggling with pornography or a friend. Uh, though that is likely, given the statistics, true. But it also affects everyone because it is a significant injustice. The way in which the pornography industry works is that it preys upon the vulnerable at the expense of others. And that is something that God tells us, as his people, we have to care about. Uh, Do I push up or down on this? Down, Down. okay. I point that way? Perfect. Uh, So uh, today we're going to look at justice, restoring the image of in a world of image for. And hopefully that uh, sort of cryptic title will make sense in a moment. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 says this, Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. And fight for the rights of widows. Uh, This is the Lord's charge to his people. And I think when we think about pornography, we often think about it in terms of this first phrase, Wash yourselves and be clean. That the, the reason that we pursue uh, holiness around sexual purity is because we want to be clean before the Lord. We feel as though uh, we are unclean before the Lord and we want to wash ourselves and to be clean before the Lord. We want to be pure before the Lord and in our relationships. Now if that's the, th- those are good motivations, absolutely. But if that's the only motivation for this, we're missing a significant thing. That pornography actually affects and causes damage to the user, as you've heard about this morning from Lisa's address. But it also does damage to those participating in its creation. It does significant damage to those participating in its, participation, or in its creation. And so I want us this this afternoon to give further motivation to rid the church of pornography and to tell the better story of the universe. You see, the reality is that so often the church has been hampered from pursuing what God has called her to do in the world because we are complicit in some of the greatest injustices in our culture and society. This hidden thing that no one talks about is Holding us back from being the church that we are called to be and that Jesus has made us to be in the world. Because we are complicit in this thing. And so I want to make the argument today that any consumption of pornography, whether connected to sex trafficking or not, is unjust. Alright, that's the argument I want to make today. That, that, and by unjust I don't mean illegal. Illegal. Uh, I mean unjust in God's sight. And unjust, and, and I want to focus on unjust and not just sinful. because I think so often we hear sinful and we think, okay, it's because God uh, has these uh, rules and, and maybe we think, like our culture thinks that they're a little archaic. and if we would just you know uh, embrace uh, sexual freedom, everything would be great. Uh, how's that going for us so far? Not well, right? It's going actually really, really horribly. There are more and more scandals, it feels like, daily of folks who are taking that idea of sexual freedom and abusing others with it. And so I want to say that, that sexual sin is is not just unclean before the Lord but fundamentally unjust and it's fundamentally unjust because it denies the imago day the reality that people all people are made in God's image and it turns people made in the image of God into people made into images for others now certainly that is true in terms of the way in which pornography connects to sex trafficking, and we'll talk about that. But but I think in general, just consuming pornography does this. And so I want to say, how how do we engage with the cultural narrative around pornography and actually tell the better narrative of the scriptures? So what is the story of pornography? What's the cultural narrative for pornography? pornography. What has our culture told us about pornography? Well, first it's told us that it's really no big deal because everyone does it, right? It's it's a joke in a TV show. It's a it's a thing in which we we have so made it ubiquitous in our culture, right? We talk about things like food porn. Like we even use the word porn to describe other things, just like we've used the term sexy to describe things that have nothing to do with sexuality. Because we're fundamentally broken as a culture around sexuality so it's no big deal it's totally natural maybe even good for sexual education and it's the and others would say that it's the height of freedom and expression like it's the height of being able to say no I am completely free with my body and no one can tell me what I can do with it And so if I want to make pornography, that's fine. If I want to view and consume pornography, that's fine. Because we're talking about consenting adults. But what's the truth of that? What if we're not talking about consenting adults? What if we don't know? There was, uh, I I mention it every year in this talk, but uh, there was a... uh, a sex trafficked victim, a trafficked victim that was uh, featured as a centerfold in a pornog- pornographic magazine—not like a, not like a you know a side, tiny one, but like a pretty mainstream one. No one knew that she was trafficked. Here's the thing: you can't tell the difference, particularly because uh, hardcore pornography is incredibly violent. And so is this a scene that's being played out because this was the scene that was intended, or is this violence actually real and happening in the moment? You can't tell. And so we have bought this lie that pornography is this innocent thing, but it's not. Pornography, what it does at its base is, pornography is images of people for pleasure and profit images of people for pleasure and for profit the truth about pornography is that it is never about the person participating in it that person their job is to make it seem as though it's enjoyable though it's not And there are testimony after testimony of those involved in the pornography industry who talk about the fact that they must use drugs and alcohol to be able to get into those spaces and not die from the trauma. They are made in order to create pleasure not for anyone participating in any of that which was designed by God for pleasure but for the pleasure of others. Consumers, for the pleasure of consumers. So they are people made in the image of God, being made into images of people for pleasure of the consumer. And for profit, but for profit, not for the performer, but for the producer. The pornography industry, the sex industry is a multi-billion dollar industry and they do what they do to make money, right? There's not this, like, altruistic cause that is happening in order to do this. They know that humans will consume other humans, and so they will make money off of them doing it. So, to consume pornography is to consume people as images for pleasure And for profit. Now what happens if we consume people as images for pleasure and for profit? Well, first it leads to us being okay with exploitation. Studies have shown that that those who view pornography are less likely to feel empathy for rape victims. Because we are training ourselves... To not feel empathy for people, but to see people as things. Body parts for my consumption and for the profit of others. Certainly this means that we're going to skirt the line when it comes to what does uh, coercion look like in sex trafficking. You know, in, in terms of the definition of sex trafficking, if the victim is under the age of 18... It is sex trafficking regardless of whether they are voluntarily there or coerced there or kidnapped there or forced there. If they are under the age of 18, it's sex trafficking. Do you know what the most popular role for a a porn star is? It's a person in their 20s pretending to be a person in their teens. How do you tell the difference between a person in their 20s pretending to be in their teens and an actual teenager? You can't tell the difference. So the likelihood of folks being extorted for this is very high. It leads to things like whole industries that now exist called revenge porn. Where folks take private images that were shared among couples and then after a breakup post those online to get back at the other person. Why would someone do that? Well, because we've trained ourselves to think of people as images for my pleasure and the profit of other people. There is incredible violence in pornography. And there is pornography being made through prostitution, and also uh, prostitutes have uh, said that they are often shown pornography and said, this is what I would like, which is often very violent. And so these things happen more and more when we as a culture accept the idea that people can be made into images for pleasure and for profit. What happens to you when you embrace that narrative? If you embrace that narrative, you will consume not just pornography, but you will consume relationships. You will consume other people in your life that you care about. You will begin to become like that which you gaze upon. If you fill your mind with seeing people as objects for pleasure and profit, you begin to see yourself in the same way. That you are simply an object and the only way to function is to cause pleasure for yourself. And you'll lead yourself into a place of self-hatred, a place of incredible shame and brokenness. See, God did not design the universe to work in this way. And so when we fight against the design of the universe, it breaks us. When we break others, it breaks us. And so this mindset of consumption will consume you. So what's the better story? How do, we, how do we enter into this space? I think there's lots of ways that we can enter into this space to create, uh, to, to fight for justice for those who have been exploited, to, to cause the pornography industry to be held accountable. Right? If, if there are laws uh, restricting things, we should make sure that they are actually enforced. That the pornography industry has to prove that they're consenting adults, if that's the law of the land. Now, we're not saying that that's, that's okay then, and we're just going to live with that. No, we want to we actually call for more than that. But if that's true, we want to save people who are being consumed by this. So they have to be held accountable for that. I say that every year. I actually don't know how that works. So somebody figure that out. I just, I just say it. Like somebody else, take your skills and talents for the kingdom and figure out how to hold that industry accountable. Some folks need to pursue a degree in law in order to do that. That is great. Please do it. But I want to say that there's a way that we can all be a part of this by learning and living the better story. That we can actually tell the better story that says you are not... An image for consumption. You are not an image for pleasure and for profit. No, the story of the scriptures is that you as a person are an image of God for grace and glory. You are not an image for pleasure and profit. You are an image of God for grace and glory. An image for grace and glory. What I want to talk about this, this afternoon briefly is this idea of the Imago Dei. which is a Latin term uh, meaning that we believe that all people are made in the image of God, that all people, all throughout human history, all throughout the, universe, all throughout the, the globe, are made in the image of God. Genesis 1. 26 and 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you have heard this before. But I have recently been thinking a lot about the Imago Day, and I have just been enthralled. I think it's this thing that we have heard before, but we haven't really grappled with the reality of. And the history of the church And of uh, the world shows that we haven't really grappled with this reality very well. There's lots of spaces within church history where we have ignored or forgotten or distorted this idea of the Imago Dei and done some really horrible things. So I think we need to be reminded of the, the incredible thing that this is talking about. This is really, really incredible. And it relates to that that we were made in the image of God for grace and for glory. First, for grace. the, The crazy thing about what the Bible says here about God creating human beings in his own image is that it is completely unnecessary to create anything at all for God, and human beings in particular. It's completely unnecessary. Right, we don't exist because God was lonely and needed something. God was perfectly happy. Right? It says let us make human beings, right? God within the confines of the Trinity, within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all eternity perfectly happy, perfectly content in love and fellowship with one another and in glory. The creation of the universe was not a necessity, it was of grace that God created. Because of who he is, he is like a fountain, and the nature of a fountain is to overflow. And he overflowed in creation, but it was completely unnecessary. And not only did he overflow in creation, he overflowed in ridiculous ways, right? Like, the design of the universe is kind of insane and ridiculous, Right if you look at the most tiny of things there is a detail there like you look at a blade of grass there is a detail in a blade of grass that is completely unnecessary why why such glorious detail Right, every day we because of technology, we learn more and more about the universe. Like the, the telescopes shoot a little farther, or we shoot a you know a rocket to Mars or something, and we see something new about the universe, and we just go, wow, that's incredible. Or we dig, we go further and further into the depths of the ocean and we find some creature there, right? that we've never discovered before and the Lord simply put it there to freak us out because it's got like six arms and faces or something, right? Like, Like these creepy little things, right? In the deeps of the ocean. But it's incredible and who has seen that for all eternity? Just the Lord, right? Like no one else has seen that. Now here's what's crazy. All of that is true and glorious but none of that Is stamped with God's very image. The pinnacle of creation is not the depths of the ocean or the far expanse of the universe, but it is you and I. It is people who are stamped with God's image. Stamped with the very image of God, meaning that God has said I am going to display something of my glory and something of my character uniquely in every single person throughout all of human history. Regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation. Regardless of any of that, you are stamped with my image. Which means you are worthy of dignity. You have value and worth. Because you reflect something of God's character. You reflect something that no one else has reflected. Because God made you. You uniquely reflect God's glory in an incredible way. This is the incredible story of the Imago Dei. And it's not just that God did that. But God did that knowing that immediately after that happened, we would blow it. Like God already knew that we were going to blow it, that Adam and Eve weren't going to stay in this glorious garden, that they were going to blow it, and that they were going to say, yeah, thanks, but, you know, we're going to do our own thing, which is what you and I would have done had we been there. And God did this, stamping us with his image, knowing that we would blow it, and knowing that he then, would take on human flesh to redeem. God created human beings in his image and then the very image of God, the son of God, the eternal son of God, took on that same human flesh in order to live among us And then to die for our sins and to rise again for our justification so that we could be made right with God. God dignifies human beings not simply by creating them in his image, though that's enough to dignify them. But then by him stepping in and becoming human. God taking on flesh. Dignifying humans even more. This is the incredible story of the gospel. The incredible story of the scriptures. And you might be thinking, that's awesome. What does this have to do with anything that we were talking about? Friends, the pursuit of justice is about restoring the image of God in people. The pursuit of justice is about restoring to people the dignity and value and worth of those made in his image. Just this past Thursday night, I gave a talk on, uh, about racism in the pursuit of racial justice. And in this, it's this very thing. If we believe that people are made in the image of God, what does that mean for how we treat them? And if we treat them in a way that doesn't dignify them and give them inherent value and worth, what does it mean about what we believe about the Imago Dei? What good is belief in the Imago Dei if it doesn't motivate us to do anything to love those who are made in God's image? Right, James says, it's great that you have faith, you believe God is one, so do the demons. But it's like, if we believe that, how does it transform us to actually love our neighbors? And not just our neighbors that we know, not just the neighbors that we know their story of, but the neighbors that we don't know who might be being exploited for the pleasure of others and the profit of others. Right? It's, we, we don't get to pick who our neighbor is. Our belief in the Imago Day means essentially nothing when we view pornography. We're denying our belief in the Imago Dei because we are treating those made in the image of God as though they are for pleasure and for profit. Your belief in the Imago Dei also means essentially nothing when you self-righteously judge those who view pornography and not come in and help them. Because we also see them as less than human your belief in the Imago Day means essentially nothing when you judge those who participate in the pornography industry rather than care for them, pray for them, engage with them, love them, and advocate for the release of those who are trapped through extortion, through sex trafficking, through violence, abuse, coercion, poverty, and self-deception." It's so unfortunate that Watasha was unable to be here. She's a dear friend of mine. And if you have an opportunity to hear her speak about sex trafficking in Delaware County, please take that opportunity. She will tell you stories of folks who are in desperate situations of poverty or abuse or neglect. And they are trapped through very elaborate schemes into sex trafficking in this county. We, as the Church of Jesus Christ, have to say that those folks are not; that those folks are worth way more. Those folks are worth way more than my immediate pleasure and gratification. Those folks are worth way more than my uncomfortability about having this conversation with other believers in Christ and challenging them. Those folks are worth way more than me not being willing to sacrifice some time in order to get into a recovery group or help others get into a recovery group in order to say, let's get past this. Those folks are worth way more than any discomfort we feel about approaching this subject. They're worth way more. Back to Isaiah 1. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. You see, what God is telling his people to do is to act like he does. And caring for those that he's made in his image. But what that means for us is there is freedom to admit that we have blown it in that area. Because God cares for you just as he cares for the oppressed. God is not saying this as though he's going to say, okay, if you admit that you haven't been seeking justice and you've actually been contributing to the extortion of others through the use of pornography, okay, you're cut off. No, what is the the point of the scriptures over and over again? God's saying this to Israel. You know how many times Israel blows it? All the time. Just like us. That's why I love reading the Old Testament. Because they blow it as often as I do. But what does God say? He says, come to me. I know that you can't do this on your own. Come to me. I will cleanse you. I will cleanse you by the blood of Jesus and I will give you my spirit And my spirit will live inside you and you will be gathered together with my people, my body. You don't have to do this alone. Just humble yourself and admit that you haven't been doing this. You haven't been seeking justice. And the Lord will redeem you. And then set you on a path of seeking justice for those who need it. This is the better story that we can tell as God's people. Because people were not made to be images for pleasure and profit. People were made to be images of the living God for grace and for glory. Author Andy Crouch said this, In this world and in the world that is coming, the restoration of culture is the recognition of persons. That is what the early Christians did for Rome and it is what we must do today. If we are going to redeem this culture and the narrative around sexuality and pornography in this place, it must begin with a recognition of persons made in the image of God, glorious in His sight, and worthy of love and care and dignity and value. And that goes for the porn addict, the porn producer, the porn performer, and those who are affected by the trauma surrounding all of those things. God loves each of them, each of us. So with this knowledge, let us as the church seek justice.
0: Thank you.